kids are a little bit older, so I'm not sure how this happens anymore, but I remember how it happened when I was a kid, when you were going to choose up teams. Remember, you'd go out, you'd play kickball or wiffle ball or baseball or something, and, and there'd be two captains, right? And usually those were the most athletic kids. They got picked to be the captains, and then all, there was all the rest of us kind of looking like you are at me right now going... You know, if you were a good, good player, you were probably out there looking and going, wow, I hope I get picked first. Most of the rest of us were just going, geez, I hope I don't get picked last, right? Uh, last year, I went to a friend's house here in town, and he had a big party at his house, and my wife came, and it was supposed to be this, uh, it was billed around town. It was kind of a guy that knows a lot of people, and he said, we're going to have the most epic wiffle ball game in the history of Chester, and this will determine the Chester Championship wiffle ball championship. And so I got invited, and, uh, and they were, they, of course, next thing you know, they're dividing up teams, and there I am looking back, and I'm going, oh, dear God, no. Um, and... <laughs> You know, not only that, I'm going, please don't pick me last. And my wife is there. I'm going, this is really going to be emasculating if I get picked last in front of my wife. And so that's kind of like the way we're used to things in this world playing itself out, right? The best get picked because they're perceived to have the ability. I mean, the last time I had that feeling other than last year was with colleges, right? Remember when you were a kid, you, now you wait by your email box. But when you were a kid, you waited by your mailbox, does this school that I applied to, do they think I'm good enough? Will they accept me? Do they think I have what it takes to be part of that school? As we look at baptism next weekend, uh, I want, this is decision day. And, and I, I, if you're considering this, I want to take you back to Jesus' day and help you understand something very important about Jesus' call to you. And a truth that underlies a lot of what he says. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. That is the historical reality of the role he played uh, in, in Galilee. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and he grew, he grew up in this region known as Galilee. And, and, and the Jewish people of Jesus' day believed, just as we do, that Moses, the great leader of the Jewish people, had received directly from God the first five books of the Bible, the same Bible you have right now. Those five books were known and still are known as the Torah. And so the Torah in first century Judaism was, was God's uh, instructions on how to live out life. And, and, and it became, as a result, the center of all of their lives and com the complete foundation and center of their education system. Most Jewish kids at the age of about six or so would be taken off, sent off to school to learn the Torah. And they had several levels of, kind of like we do, you know, grammar school, middle school, high school. They had kind of that thing going. The first level of education that started at age six was called Bet Sefer. And it would last about four years or so until the child was 10. Now, in Bet Sefer, most kids would memorize the entire Torah. Okay, so if you have a Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, they would commit it all to memory. Every word. Now, by the end of Bet Sefer, most of the kids, you know, would be done with their formal education. An average kid, he's about 10 years old, he could now help dad, uh, he could help mom, and so education would be done, and they would go home. But, if you were really a bright kid, and the rabbis thought, you know, this kid, he, he seems really able to not just memorize the law, but he seems to understand it, you would be invited to continue your education into something called Bet Talmud. Now, in Bet Talmud, these were the best of the best. These kids would memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Like, 
this was substantial. These were the best and the brightest. Word for word. Now, Bet Talmud would end around age 15 or so. Now, at the age of uh, 15, most of the kids, 99% of the kids were done with their education. Most of them had kind of capped out along the way. And so they would go home and they would be invited it to begin to uh, apply the family trade. But the best of the best of the best these are like the, you know, the Ivy League kids of the day. They were invited to continue on in schooling to the next level called Bet Midrash. Now, in Bet Midrash, you would take your years of learning all of those laws of God, right? All of the Old Testament, they had it all in their mind. You were invited to take those laws and apply to a rabbi to become a disciple of a rabbi. Now, in Jesus' day, a disciple wasn't merely somebody who was a student. It was a student that was in training to be like the rabbi, to think like the rabbi, and to do what the rabbi does. And so when you read Jesus' words, a key to understanding of what he's talking about often is, is understanding how rabbis worked. Rabbis would differ in how they interpreted Torah. So it wasn't just when you got to this level of education, it was no more just about memorizing the law of God, but it was how would you apply the law of God? So every rabbi would apply those laws in different ways. They would take a verse or a command and one rabbi would say, well, this is what it means and how you apply this verse, this command in the world in which we live. Other rabbis would go, no, 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 that's not quite right. You actually, you know, when it comes to Sabbath, you're allowed to walk 10 miles. But once you get to 10.1 miles, then that's work and you've corrupted Sabbath. Another rabbi would say, no, 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 you could walk five miles in one direction and five miles in another, and then you would keep it. Each rabbi had what was called that rabbi's yoke, the way he would interpret the laws. When you were in... Um, Bet Midrash, what you were doing is you were applying to take on the rabbi's yoke. What you would be doing as the best of the best of the best is going to a rabbi, which was the highest level of society, and saying, I would like, I believe in your yoke. I would like to take on your yoke. I believe I could be like, I want to be like you. I want to do what you do. I want to think like you think. I want to live like you live. I want to be like you. Now, this was a highly competitive process, not unlike our education system today. Just like the best schools are nearly impossible to get into, with a rabbi, when you wanted to apply to be his disciple, he didn't just take you in. He would greet you with all kinds of questions, and he would grill you about Torah, the prophets, Old Testament laws, oral laws, Jewish traditions, all in an attempt to see, does this kid... Does he not just memorize it, but does he have, does he understand my yoke? Does he have what it takes to extend my yoke, spread my yoke? Could he be like me? Could he do what I do? And so for most kids, this process ended like most of our kids' Ivy League applications end with. Courteous thank you letter or email. You know, we had the biggest class that ever applied this year, and thank you for applying, but unfortunately, we will not be able to offer you acceptance at this time. See, I've got four kids, so I'm familiar with some of this language by now. Um, and that's the way it ended for most kids in the first century, too. And they would go, and they would ply the family trade. But there were, now we're just talking about the elite, there were just a few of the few, the best of the best of the best, who would find themselves accepted by a rabbi. 
a rabbi who thought he could do what the rabbi did, that, that the rabbi believed in him. The rabbi thought he could do what it took to be like him. And, and when a rabbi thought that, he would look at the young man and he would say, son, I, I, I think you have it in you. I think you could extend my yoke. I think you could be like me. I think you could do what I do. And so come and follow me. Now, most rabbis would begin this process in their lives at about the age of 30. And let's fast forward to Jesus, who about the age of 30, a Galilean rabbi is walking down the beach. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. They were fishermen. Why are they fishermen? Because they're not following a rabbi. They are not the best of the best of the best. They have not made it through the process. They, at some point, were told, thank you for applying, but we had a very competitive class this year, and we will not be able to offer you acceptance. You are welcome to go and fish. (laughs) Jesus walks up to them and says, come and follow me because I think you can do what I do. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Here comes this rabbi. Now, this is a rabbi of some repute. If you remember, Jesus at the age of 12, is Mary and Joseph in like a really bad parental moment forgot him at the temple, right? Um, Dyphus was called, and they went back and got him. And, and when they got him, he was in there. And at the age of 12, he was like teaching. And people were like, this kid really is pretty, pretty bright. So you got to imagine, at 30, this is a rabbi of some r- r- reputation. And he walks down the beach, and, uh, and he walks up to them and says, hey, you know, I see that you're fishing here, but I, I, I think you have what it takes. I think you could be like me. I think you could do what I do. Come. Fish for men with me. The scripture says that once they left their nets and followed him. I mean, of course, of course they left their nets and followed him. See, notice, and I've gotten this wrong in my life. Notice that Jesus never says, if you want to come with me, you have to drop your nets and and follow me. He never commands them to drop anything. He says, listen, I believe in you. You're invited. Come and follow me. Of course they drop their nets. There's a rabbi, and a pretty prestigious one, that thinks they're good enough, that thinks they have what it takes to be like him. And the story continues on. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Why were they doing that? Because they were fishermen. Why were they fishermen? Because they got a letter once that said, thank you for applying to be a, you know, but we have a very full class this year and we're not at this moment going to be able to, but you're welcome to apply for the waiting list to rabbinical training. But, but they were fishermen. They were applying the family trade. And the rabbi comes and goes, I think you can do what I do and be like I am. Come and follow me. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. One writer goes on to point, point out that he, you never read of Zebedee complaining about their choice to go to leave home and their mother and his business. Of course he doesn't complain about what it means for his business. A rabbi came along and thinks his kids can do it. Now this has huge implications for people like you and me, everyday normal run-of-the-mill people. Because that's the kind of people 
that Jesus calls. It's not always the ivies. It's not always the best of the best of the best. It's not the elite or the powerful or the kings and the queens and the royals, but normal, regular people that he believes that you, this is crazy, have what it takes to be just like him. He believes you could take his yoke upon you. Remember Jesus said, take my yoke. I'm humble. I'm gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He thinks you could take his yoke and extend it just like him. Now, there's a pretty famous teaching out there. It's not my own, so I don't want to take credit for it. But it, it, when you have this as background, it frames the story well. The story of Jesus walking on the water in the storm. The disciples are in the boat. If you remember, they're scared. The boat's going crazy. Here comes Jesus. At first, they think he's a ghost. But Peter sees him and says, Lord, Rabbi, if that's you, call me out onto the water with you. And why is that his first response? Well, it's because he's a disciple and he wants to do what his rabbi does. So his, his rabbi is walking on water and he goes, geez, my rabbi walks on water. Maybe I could walk on water too. Rabbi, call me to be like you. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, come on. You can do it. I think you have what it takes. Get out of the boat. And Peter gets out of the boat. And there's this magical couple of minutes in all of the history of humanity where man walks on water. But the scriptures tell us something happens. Peter begins to doubt. He looks around at the waves. He looks around at the storm. He begins to doubt and he sinks. But here's the funny thing. As you and I have read that story over the centuries, we read it and start to think that he had doubt in God. He doubted God. But the reality is Jesus isn't sinking Jesus is still walking on water. He's not looking at Jesus going, I doubt my rabbi's ability to walk on water. It's not Jesus that he doubted. Who did he doubt? Himself. I'm actually not certain I could be like you. Maybe I should have just stayed back in the boat. One writer put it this way, all of my life I have heard people talk about believing in God, but the story of Jesus is that God believes in us, you and me. We're called to faith in Jesus, but Jesus has faith in us. That's why this rabbi leaves his yoke with you. He believes you have what it takes to be his follower. And so to the Peters and the Andrews and the James and the Johns in the room this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you to follow him. Jesus believes in you. Jesus is choosing you. If your heart stirs when you hear this this morning, it is because this is the call that has waited for you your whole life. I believe in you. Come and follow me. Your rabbi is calling, and so the question as we approach decision day in a couple weeks is, do I drop my net? Because he doesn't ask me to. But do I drop my net? Do I drop my identity, my, 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 my protection, the thing I trust, the thing that defines me, the thing that provides for me? It, can I let that go because Jesus is better? I mean, we sing it well, but can I let that go? Do I believe, do I believe in myself enough, that I am worth enough, valued enough, good enough, because the call to follow the rabbi, despite what you may have heard, this rabbi thinks that you have the ability to do it. You're the best of the best. If you would just drop your net, 
decision day is coming. I, I really would like you to come and follow me. Now, this rabbi is pretty radical. And there's a couple other times in the scripture where he walks up to people and he says, I want you to follow me too. So, so now we've got a couple of, you know, state school kids that have been invited, right? Now, now you think that's bad enough, right? Now, this rabbi Jesus, he utters the call to another potential disciple. And it's even crazier, okay? Now, here's, here's how the story goes. It starts in, Matt, we were in Matthew 4. Now we're going to jump to Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, the rabbi is on the move. He's spreading his yoke town to town. Behind him, like ducklings, are his disciples, right? They're walking right behind their rabbi. They're learning from their rabbi. Uh, so here come, here's Jesus. And then you got uh, Peter, James, John, Andrew, right? They're coming. As Jesus went on from there, he sees a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, I, again, we have to understand what that implies. Matthew isn't sitting there paying his taxes. Matthew is a tax collector, and he is a beat about to meet one wild rabbi. In Rome, they would sell the right to collect taxes in the different provinces they conquered. So they had conquered, Rome had conquered these Israelites. Rome had conquered the people of God. Rome had conquered Jesus's people. And so Rome had sold to someone the privilege to tax and collect tax on the citizens of Israel on behalf of Rome. That man likely hired Matthew to be the enforcer, the tax collector. Romans taxed everything. And what Matthew was allowed to do was add whatever he wanted to on top of that tax. He could collect that under the authority of Rome with the strength of Rome as a threat, and he would pass the rest on to Rome. Now, what you have to understand is if you collected the Roman tax in Israel, if you were a Jewish person who went to work for a Roman tax collector, you were the worst of the worst. You had to understand the story. You have to understand how bad Matthew was. And Matthew knew he was bad, right? If you were a Jewish person collecting taxes for the Romans, you were a traitor to your people, to your nation, to your God. You were the despised of the despised. You were an outcast from the synagogue. You were considered ceremonially unclean. In fact, one commentator pointed out they would refer, if you read in the scriptures, when they refer to bad people, they always have two categories. The, you know who came? The sinners and the tax collectors. So you, if you're a tax collector... You're not even good enough to be lumped in with the sinners. You have your own special category. And in, in comes Jesus and his band of new disciples. And you got to think about what the boys are thinking themselves. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Jesus is walking up to Matthew. And they have to be saying, oh, this is going to be good. Right? Our rabbi, who is pretty quick on his feet, is going to show this guy who's been oppressing our people what a traitor, sinner, deplorable, retrograde, persecutor of God's people he's been. These guys were fishermen. They had seen what the tax collectors had done to their fathers and their grandfathers' businesses over the years. And they're watching Jesus walk up to Matthew's tax collector booth and they're going, let him have it, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to Matthew? Hey, follow me. They can imagine the boys, right? Wait, 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 wait. Follow me. I mean, follow me? Jesus, I, I think, you, you're not, do you understand who this guy is, what he's done? I mean, we left everything for you, Jesus. 
My mom, my dad, the business. I had a little 401k thing going down at the shore. I was tucking away. I was building on that, Jesus. You can't invite this guy in. I mean, do you understand who he is and what he's done? What's going to happen? I mean, what does that mean for me if he comes and he's seen with me and he's equal to me? What does that say about me? Who, what, what? Jesus, no, 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 no. Jesus, we, 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 look, I understand. I'm not the brightest. I'm not the best. I get that. I'm a state school guy, right? I'm not the best. But this guy, I'm not the best of the worst, but he's the worst of the worst. Remember, sinners and tax collectors. He's a tax collector, Jesus. I think you made a mistake. Jesus, this guy chooses sin as a career. I mean, this guy thumbs his nose at God in the city streets. Jesus, we're good. He's not. At least before you invite him, make him clean himself up a little bit, straighten himself out. I mean, read him the riot act, teach him the law. And Jesus could have done all that. He could have lectured Matthew. He could have told him where he had gone wrong, told him of the families he'd crushed and ruined, told him what he had done to God's people, how he blasphemed God's names. There would be no end to the list of grievances Jesus could have laid on him. But when Jesus goes up to Matthew, the tax collector, he goes up with a two-word invitation. Follow me. turns out that it's not just the best and the brightest of the good and the obedient. Jesus says to the worst of the worst of the worst, this is crazy, okay? This is, gets a guy crucified. He says to the worst of the worst of the worst, hey, you know what? I believe in you. I think you have what it takes to be like me. Why don't you come and follow me? Now, Matthew, and maybe some of you out there are are in that kind of thought process. Maybe the idea of following Jesus is just so foreign. Making a commitment to be baptized is just so crazy. Because you don't have it all together yet. I've had more people tell me that they'll get in a Bible study once they know more about the Bible than anything other reason. Well, I can't get in a Bible study. Why? I don't know that much about it. Well, that's the whole point. You know, that's what we're trying to. And so there's this concept for many of us like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough yet to be baptized. I got to get my life in a little bit more order. I get my addiction licked, my, my marriage in shape, my kids under control. Maybe when I curse a little less and I give a little more, maybe, maybe once I'm a better Christian, then I'll get baptized. Jesus walks up to the tax collector's booth, a guy that couldn't even go to church. And he goes, hey, you, I really believe in you. I think you could be like me. Why don't you come and follow me? And the scripture says, of course, and Matthew, I mean, a rabbi came. I said, you know, you could be like me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, this is what I love. I, I, somebody pointed this out in a teaching I, I was listening to this week. I love this. You would think, okay, here's what we would do, right? Well, we got this. I mean, this guy is a reprobate, right? He needs a lot of washing, a lot of cleaning, a lot of education. We're going to need to show him all the things he's done wrong. We're going to make him have to promise he's not going to do anything that's bad anymore. Probably going to have to discipline him, maybe spanking, something like that. We're going to do something with this guy to really lay it on and make sure he understands how bad he's been. Next verse, while Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house... Jesus, the rabbi, is having dinner at a retrobate, retrobate, unclean person's house. And it goes on, many tax collectors and sinners, there it is, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. In fact, when Luke describes it, he says, Matthew threw a party and all of Matthew's friends came. Now, I love this because there's two things going on in my mind in this room. You've got Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're hanging out in the party, and I'm guessing they're in the back going, Dear God, how did this happen? Maybe in this situation, Dear Jesus, how did this happen? Why, this cannot be right. 
They're the least comfortable people in the room. We're like that sometimes. Who's the most comfortable guy in the room? Jesus. Scripture says, when the Pharisees saw this, the religious elite, the super righteous, they asked his disciples, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? If he's holy, if he loves God, he should not be with them. Do you know what that's going to make your rabbi look like? Do you know what it's going to make you look like? He hangs out with them. And Jesus overhears this. And he comes out and he says, I'm not sure what you've heard, but it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And you see, this is the yoke of this rabbi. He's a fisher of men and not just any kind of men, not just good men, not just religious guys, but he's the fisher of, of sick men. Now, now, when you hear he's not here for the healthy, we tend to say, oh, well, the Pharisees, they were the healthy. They had it all together. They kept most of the laws, right? Uh, but, but we read later that Jesus says, no, they're sick too. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to understand why I'm here. I am here for everybody who has figured out there is something not right. Things are not the way they should be. I am not right. I'm not who I want to be. I don't do what I want to do. I certainly understand that I'm less than holy. I certainly understand that God might not be totally pleased with everything I've said, done. I haven't been the, the wife I wanted to be, the husband, the father, the son, the daughter, the worker, the boss, the disciple. There's something in me. I don't know what it is. I try to be good, but I can't. I, I try to not look, but I do. Matthew was doing what he knew was wrong. He was choosing it. And it's for people just like this that Jesus said, yeah, that's right. The, sick, the people that, they get it. Yeah, I'm here. I know, I understand. I know what you've done. I, come on. Come. Come follow. Matthew gets up and he leaves his booth. I love Jesus looks at these, these learned men. He says, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. Go and learn what this means. Come back when you understand it. And he gives them an Old Testament verse. He says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners and tax collectors. A God who came to call sinners and tax collectors. There's one last call I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to be done. And maybe this one fits you a little bit better this morning. Luke talks about it in chapter 18. A certain ruler came to Jesus. Good teacher, good rabbi. I would like to understand your yoke, good rabbi. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God alone. And so Jesus is kind of helping him process. Are you, do you, I think you might start to be believing that I am who I said I am. Jesus says, look, you know the commandments. You're asking me something you know. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the young man looks at Jesus and says, well, I, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Now, obviously, we know that Jesus has talked about this as a heart issue, even if, you know, there's, you hate your brother. It's kind of the same heart issue as murder and lust and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus hears this and he, gives, he gets, gets some insight on this young man's heart. And so he says to him, here, here's what it is. You see, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and now come and follow me. Here it is again. Come. You can come too. Come, follow me. Now, with Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Jesus doesn't put any roadblocks up. He doesn't tell them to leave their nets. He doesn't tell them to stop collecting tax. 
The value of the invitation to follow the rabbi made everything else pale in comparison. He never needed to. But the, with the rich young ruler, Jesus sees his heart and says, yeah, there's something that's going to keep you from following me. So let me just put it out there. You're invited. I want you to come follow me. But a heads up, like you can't take all that stuff with you. There's just not going to be room for it because like, if you take that stuff, that's going to be what you trust in. That's going to be what you rely on. That's going to be where you find your safety and your security and your comfort and your identity. It sounds like to me you just want eternal life. It sounds like you're just looking for a fire insurance policy. I, I didn't come to provide fire insurance. I came to, to steal your heart. Hey, come, leave that stuff behind. Why don't you come and follow me too? I love what the scripture says, Luke wrote, when he heard this, the, the young man, he became very sad because he was really very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Guys, maybe this morning your stuff is what keeps you from getting into the waters of that baptism and identifying with Jesus because you're so identified with your things, your positions, your title. Maybe realigning your life around the yoke of this rabbi and not the yoke of the world. Maybe that's too much for you. I get that. Jesus understood it. He said, look, for rich people, this is going to be really hard because their identity and their trust and their worth, it's all caught up in the yoke of the world. They've lived by those rules and they've won that game. It's going to be tough for them to follow another rabbi, to take on another yoke. But, and it's important that you hear this in Morris County, New Jersey, what Jesus is calling to the rich, it is not to sell everything you own. Jesus does not want your stuff. He wants your heart. This man's stuff was going to keep his heart from Jesus. What Jesus wants is not your stuff. He wants you. And it's important to remember, oftentimes we read this story and we go, wow, Jesus was really hard on that guy. But do you know what the last thing Jesus said to him was? Come. Even though right now your heart is far from me. Even right now you're probably worshiping some other idols. Even right now, even though right now you think your identity is that you're famous, you're rich, you're young, you're rule, you're powerful. I want you to come too. So band's going to come up. We got a couple weeks left in, in, in kind of the church year, and we're going to hit summer. And I know, you know, 35% of us are gone any given weekend. I get that. But we have been together now for another year, another time around the globe. We've talked about our origins and our destinations and our attitudes. But at some point for all of us, there comes a day of decision. And Jesus' question this morning is this. He is not commanding you drop your net because here's the deal. You'll drop it willingly when you understand, friends, that your rabbi, he believes in you. He thinks you can be like him. In fact, you know, the rabbi, Jesus, he said, you know what he said to his disciples? Not only does he believe in you, he says, you're going to do even greater things than I did. I, he believes in you. And you're invited. You're not here by chance. You've been hanging around our church. Maybe it's your first time here this morning and you're hearing this. You're not here by chance. You know why? Because Jesus, the rabbi, said this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Because I believe in you. Take my yoke. Extend it around the world. I appointed you that you might go and bear that kind of fruit. You are invited. Come and follow me.